you're going to go to the Bible app and you're going to search up Psalms and it's in the Old Testament and it starts with a P, not an S. And you're going to scroll down to 23 and you're going to click on it. We're going to read the whole chapter today. We're going through the whole chapter. Um, it's, it's not long at all, but we're going to go through it. Uh, I do want to remind you, I know some people, uh, Bobby already talked about this probably, but um, if you are a first time guest with us, we're so excited to have you with us today. Um, can we give all of our first-time guests a big round of applause? I, got, I see quite a few people that I don't recognize this morning. Um, and uh, we, we are so appreciative of you. Also, we do have today a uh, new members lunch following the service. So I'm pumped up about that. Got some new people joining the church today, or at least going to come uh, hear about it and talk about it. So that's happening right after service. So today we're going to go into Psalm chapter 23. And what happened was uh, I had every intention... If any of you know me, if you ever, some, some people always like to talk to me about how I think about sermons and, and um, the, the, my, my process for studying. And I typically think in, in a series, like just the way my brain works. I guess when I was growing up, my dad used to get up and he would preach for like an hour and 20 minutes. And um, some of you are like, your eyes just got really big. You're like, an hour and 20 minutes? I'd have to take a bathroom break. Um, so he would preach for an hour and 20 minutes. And whenever he would, uh, I would always be sitting there taking notes and I would think, um, I would think, man, you could preach four different messages in the one message he just preached. And so, um, so whenever I got older and I started developing my own messages, that was kind of the way I think. So I think sometimes in one message, and then I break it up into four parts. And and um, and so next, like not next week, next week, my dad will actually be preaching. Um, he he won't preach for an hour and twenty minutes. Uh, but then the next week, I'll start a brand new series. Uh, we'll start a series on the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but I had every intention for the last couple of weeks to just preach what I call Sam's, a standalone message, right? And so, so just a message that has nothing to do with the series, just, just whatever um, is coming out of my journal, whatever I feel like God's speaking to me in that moment. And so, um, so last week we talked about going into the wild. We talked about being in a wilderness season in life. And so this week I was going to talk about Psalm 23. But the more I studied and prepared for Psalm 23, I realized that, um, that Psalm 23 is really about being in the wild. And here's the thing, all of us find ourselves, we said this last week, at some point or another, we find ourselves in a wilderness type season, in a place in life where we feel like we ain't got nobody and we got no thing and, and, and things aren't going our way and it feels very hard and very difficult to do life and we find ourselves in a wilderness season. And as I was studying for Psalm 23, I realized that, that in that wilderness season, there's something we have to have. And that is a shepherd. We have to have a shepherd. And so David's going to talk to us today. King David uh, from the Old Testament, he's going to talk to us today. This is, what he, this is what he wrote with Psalm 23. And so I want to read Psalm 23 uh, this morning. This is out of the English Standard Version. Um, and we'll have it on the screen for you. And then we'll get into the word, okay? Into, we'll break it all down. So here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I just pray real quick? I know we pray a lot in church. I want to pray one more time. 
Lord Jesus, we invite you into this place. We invite your presence, your spirit to move in this house. God, today, right now, I just ask that you would help us to open up our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have for us. Not something that I'm going to say, uh, but something that your word is going is to speak to us today. We believe that the Bible says your word is living and active. And so today, I just pray that that word would speak to our hearts and change our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So verse one says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the Lord is my what? Say it one more time. Shepherd. Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The key word here is shepherd. Now we're going to stay on verse one for a minute. Okay. So don't get bored with me, but the Lord is my shepherd. Here's the thing. When you're in the wilderness, you need a guide. Have you ever been anywhere in the wild? Have you ever been in the woods and you got turned around and lost? Anybody ever done that before? Anybody done it, but you don't want to admit it today. Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. All the hunters out there. Um, I know there have been times when you've been hunting. I'm not going to say anything, Cam, but I know there's times when you've been hunting and you, you thought this tree was the one and all of a sudden you're like, well, that tree looks like this tree and so does that one. And then all of a sudden you're turned around, right? I remember one time I was out on my in-laws. They have, um, they have 60 acres uh, of, of land out in Opelika and and I had never ventured out on their property before. And I remember venturing out on their property. And, um, and I was so confident. I can't remember who I was with, but I was so confident. Probably Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan was probably with me. And, um, and he was very confident because it was his parents' land, you know. And he, was just, you know, he knew the land. And um, so we get out on the land. And once we got out there, uh, we could not find our way back. We absolutely could not find our way back. And, um, and I remember being out there just thinking, I know the trail was that way, you know, and it just never, we never got back. And so finally we just listened for cars and we're like, all right, if we hear cars, there must be a road somewhere. Right. And we just wandered through the woods until we got to the road. And then we followed the road back to the house. And turns out we were probably a hundred yards away from the house, but it took us about 500 yards to get there. So, um, so sometimes when you get in the woods, you get in the wild, you get lost. And so it's important that we understand that we need a shepherd, We need a shepherd. And and here's the thing. It's not just the need of a shepherd. We need the shepherd. We need the shepherd. The Bible says this in Isaiah 40, verse 11. It says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs into his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And he will gently lead those uh, that are young. John 10, 11, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Here's the thing. We need the shepherd. We need Jesus to be the shepherd of our lives. I don't need to be the shepherd of my own life. As a matter of fact, I can probably point back to every time I've been in sin in my life. And it's almost always a time when I felt like I knew what I was doing and I was in charge and I tried to take over and lead myself. When I lead myself, something inevitably bad is going to happen. I can't allow uh, the pastor. You can't allow me as your pastor to be your shepherd. Now, the Bible calls the pastors, it says that pastors are, are under shepherds, they're hirelings, but we are not the shepherd. Any pastor, and some of you don't go to our church, maybe you're visiting today. Uh, listen, here's the thing. The pastor at your church is not your shepherd. Because what happens is we can get turned around and we get to following a man and not following God, right? He has to be the shepherd. Your social media influencers are not your shepherd, Your church is not your shepherd. 
Your denomination is not your shepherd. Your past is not your shepherd. Your mama is not your shepherd. Now, you better listen to your mama. Colt, pay attention, buddy. You got to listen to your mama. But at the end of the day, Jesus has to be established as my shepherd. And in the very first verse, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He establishes that from the beginning. Why? Because everything else that he says in the next five verses don't matter if he's not the shepherd. If he's not the shepherd. If I allow culture or if I allow a politician to be my shepherd, if I allow the media to be my shepherd, I am going to get lost real quick in this wilderness. They might can lead me, you know, Dave Ramsey, I love Dave Ramsey and he likes to talk about money and that's great. And Dave Ramsey might can lead me through a time of financial crisis. But listen, when the real wilderness hits, Dave Ramsey ain't got your back. You got to have a shepherd and that shepherd must be Jesus. As I was studying, I came across this, this, um, this website. It was, it was all about sheep. It was all about sheep. And one of the things it says about sheep, I think this is really cool, is that in a sheep's DNA, it has been bred into the sheep to follow. It is in their DNA. It is deep down inside. It is a desire that they must achieve, and that is to follow something. It doesn't matter what they follow. They're following something, right? They've got to follow something. And here's the thing. It's really easy to lead a sheep. But it's also very easy for a sheep to get distracted because they've got to always be following. They say they say sheep have to be in a flock. They've got to be in a group of at least five, right, because they want to have someone to follow. They'll follow a ram. They'll follow a dog. They'll follow a man. But they've got to follow something. And that's why Jesus in, in Matthew 9, 36, it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion Compassion means a deep moving passion, a passion that comes from deep down inside. He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We live in a society today that's a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. We as humans are always in the Bible compared to sheep. Why? Because we always want to follow somebody. Even those of us that think that we don't follow anybody. I make my own trail. You know, at the end of the day, you look a lot like a bunch of other people that make their own trail and you're all on the same trail together. Right. We all follow somebody and we have a desire to follow somebody. But Jesus says they're like sheep without a shepherd. Listen, sheep without a shepherd are still going to follow. The problem is, what are they following? There's a story. Uh, this is a true story in Turkey. 2006. In 2006, 400 sheep died in 2006. You know how they died? Not a disease, not a wolf, not somebody out there shooting them. 400 sheep died because one sheep came to a 45-foot ravine and thought he could jump across it. Guess what? He didn't. He jumped straight down to his death. 399 more sheep saw him do it and thought, let's just follow him. He knows what he's doing. Let's go. And they all jumped in the ravine. And all of a sudden, there was 400 dead sheep at the bottom of a ravine. It sounds funny and stupid at the same time. But we do that in life. We see something on TV, on our phone. We see something in our society. We see something within our church. And we just follow. When you don't have a shepherd, you'll follow anything. Even if you follow it to your death. 
Listen, sheep without a shepherd may think, I'm free. I can do what I want. But the fact is, you're always going to follow somebody. And you can be free to end up at the bottom of a ravine, right? So we got to make sure that we're following who? The shepherd. Uh, Another little breakdown in that verse, it says, the Lord is. The Lord is my shepherd. Listen, he's not saying the Lord will be my shepherd. He's not saying the Lord could be my shepherd. He's not saying the Lord might be my shepherd. David is definitive. He says he is my shepherd. When? Right now. He is currently my shepherd every day. He wasn't just my shepherd when I was 12 years old. He's not going to be my shepherd one day when I get it all together. He is my shepherd right now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Choose you this day who you will serve. Listen, the Bible is all about the present. Because God's got our future. And God forgives our past. But in the present, we got to make a choice today who our shepherd is. The other thing it says there is it says my shepherd. It doesn't say our shepherd. Think about that. Sometimes we think the Lord is our shepherd, our collective shepherd. He's leading our church, our people, our nation, whatever the case is. But it's not about ours. It's not about a collective shepherd. We need to understand that God died or Jesus died on the cross to be your personal savior. We need to make a decision today. Are we going to follow Christ even if nobody else does? What if the rest of your family decides not to follow Christ? What if everybody else in the flock decides to go their own way? You have to decide today, this, he is going to be my shepherd every day. And the last thing it says in that verse is it says, I shall not want. I love that little part. I shall not want. I shall not want. I shall not want is two things. It's a declaration and a decision. Think about this for a second. A declaration, what he's saying is my shepherd will provide. I shall not be in want. Why? Because I know my shepherd will provide. I trust my shepherd is going to provide for me. I'm never going to be in want because I've got a shepherd. Now, if you ain't got a shepherd, if you don't have a shepherd, there's a good chance you're going to be in want. If you don't have a shepherd, there's a good chance you're not going to have uh, what, what it is that you need to survive. But as long as you have a shepherd, see the, the, the study that I was reading about sheep, it says this. They are so highly domesticated nowadays that without a shepherd, scientists feel like if you just release a bunch of sheep into the wild, they would all be eaten or they would all die very quickly. They cannot survive without a shepherd to lead them and to guide them and to provide for them. The other thing it says is, is when it says I shall not want, it can, it can be a declaration that I'm putting my faith and my trust in my shepherd, but it can also be a decision. I'm choosing, I'm choosing to be content with what he's given me. This is why, this is why sometimes, uh, like whenever we get into to, uh, the whole idea, which I think has been skewed nowadays, of the prosperity gospel, where it's all, about, um, it's all about getting more money, more stuff, more houses, more cars. The Bible never talks about that. There's not one scripture about a car in the Bible. Not one time. Right? And so the Bible doesn't talk about getting all of that. The Bible talks about being blessed. The Bible talks about abundance. It does talk about that, but it doesn't say that should ever be our focus. Here's one of the things I like about this. Whenever he says, I I choose not to be in want, he's saying, I choose to be content with whatever God gives me. If God gives me uh, uh, a one talent or if he gives me 10 talents, I choose to be content with whatever God gives me. I shall not, I'm talking to myself, I shall not be in want. That's verse one. Let's go to verse 2. Verse 2 says this. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Gabriel, you said this is about the wilderness. And the Bible's talking about green pastures. 
So when we think about green pastures, I got a, a picture I want to show you. This is usually what we think about when we think about green pastures. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Lush green grass, big green trees, nice little mountain in the background. It looks beautiful. Here's the problem. Back in David's time and even today in Israel, in the Middle East, right? In the Middle East, remember Middle East. In the Middle East, if you find land like this, you don't let sheep touch it. You know why? Because sheep will eat all of it. Instead, you plant your crops there. And this is what this is what green pastures actually looks like. As a matter of fact, if you look at that, it's all sand and dirt. And you can see you can see the sheep and goats back in the background. If you have your glasses on, I just I just realized they were there. I'm the one that put the picture on the screen. And I just realized there there's actually animals in that picture um, because now I have my glasses on uh, and I'm this close to this giant screen. Uh, But here's the thing. This picture is an actual place in Israel, and its nickname is actually Green Pastures. Can you imagine as the sheep, when the shepherd comes and he gathers all the flock, and he says, guys, today I'm taking you to Green Pastures. Every one of those sheep got so excited. Like all their wool just like stood out on end, right? And they're so pumped up. We're going to green pastures. And then he takes you to this. And every sheep is thinking, where is it? You know, it's over that hill, right? And you go over the hill and it's just another dirt mound. And you go over the next hill and it's just more rocks. Here, here's the thing. When, when I was studying, uh, one of the things I realized, one of the things they talked about is this. Green pastures, green pastures is, is very little green at all. As a matter of fact, you have to look for little tufts of grass that grow uh, around rocks that collect moisture from the dew. Not big rainstorms. Moisture from the dew produces... A li- Can you, um, do you know how much grass grows from the dew? None, right? None grass. None of it. It's just this and that's it. Just a little... Like you don't have to cut that yard at all, right? And so here's the thing. The shepherds take the sheep out and the sheep go and, and it's so cool. You can't see it in this picture, but there was another, you kind of see it. There's another picture that I found where there's actually lines. It looks like lines drawn across the dirt in those lines. What it is, is it's paths that these sheep have walked on for years and years and years. And the shepherds know that if I keep the sheep separated along these different paths, there's just enough grass for the sheep to eat that little bit of grass and move on to the next one. And then by, you know, the next day or the next day, it starts growing back. And I bring them right back down along that same path over and over and over again. And the sheep get just enough that they need. So why am I telling you all this stuff? I'm telling you this because the Bible says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Listen, a sheep, the study goes that a sheep can't rest if it's hungry, if it's afraid, or if there's conflict within the flock. It's hungry, it's afraid, or it's stressed out because of conflict within the flock. So whenever, whenever the good shepherd takes the sheep, to green pastures, it may not look like much. And you may feel like you're in your wilderness and you may feel like you're starving, but I promise you, he's going to take you to a place where you can be fed. It may not look like bountiful green grass and alfalfa everywhere and all the things. Maybe it's just little tufts of grass, but he's going to take you through and he's going to provide for you every step of the way. 
why, well, Gabriel, why doesn't, he just, why doesn't he just throw us out into a green, big old huge green pasture? Why doesn't he just throw us out with all that grass? I'll tell you why. Because, because sheep will overindulge. They got a bad problem. They can't stop eating. Sometimes, sometimes we're wanting God to just keep giving us more and more and more. And we're never content until we get the most. And God's looking at us and saying, you can't contain everything that I could give you. Sometimes I need to just give you what you need and help you get to the next day. Here's the other thing that the word still waters there is in the Hebrew, it means waters of rest. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, I quote this and I pray this over you all the time. Like there's constantly I get phone calls or text messages. Hey, man, I'm really struggling in this area. I'm really struggling with this problem. And and here's a verse. I just it became one of those verses that I use a lot. Um, But it says this and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, there's a peace that only God can give us that we can't even understand. We can't comprehend how it got there, that I'm going through the worst wilderness of my life. But even in the wilderness, even when it looks like there's no green grass anywhere, even when there's not much going on, that he leads me to a place called still waters, a place where there is rest and peace for me. When I don't get it, when I don't know how it gets there, he shows up. And what does he do? He guards my heart and my mind. In Christ Jesus. I'm going to mention this. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. I'm going to go ahead and admit it. But something my wife and I have been talking about a lot lately. Is the Bible gives us all these commandments that we follow, right? Don't murder. I mean, very few of you have ever murdered anybody, I'm sure. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't covet. Right? Uh, Don't have idols. Don't, uh, you know, all these commandments. You know, there's one commandment that we very rarely keep, and it is keep the Sabbath day holy. And listen, Jesus even said that word, that commandment is not for God. That's for you. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't, I mean, he did rest to establish the idea of work and rest balance, but God doesn't get tired. Listen, God doesn't need a day of rest. We do. We do. We need to find a place of rest where we can enjoy what God's done for us, where we can reflect on all God is doing, where we can stop worrying about the, the church and the money and the business and the, the grades and the whatever. Yes, I said grades and kids, I know you're all applauding me right now. There needs to be a place where a teenager doesn't have to worry about his grades. And so we got to have a place where we find that peace. When you're in the wilderness, you still can have peace and you need it. You need rest. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is huge. The word restore. Um, so when we get the word uh, repent, right? We, you hear the word repent. We talk about it a lot in the New Testament, especially. Jesus comes out. He's preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist comes out, repent. Uh, Paul, I mean, Peter comes out preaching, repent. So this word repent gets used a lot. In the New Testament, it's drawn from a Greek word that means metamorphosis, the same place we get metamorphosis. In other words, repent has to do with the idea of, of changing uh, the way I think and the way I act, right? So repentance has to do with change. But in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, we find a similar word or the same, same kind of word, just in a different language. And it's, 
it's actually this word restore. When it says restore, the meaning there is repent. In other words, when he talks about restoring my soul, he means there's some kind of change that needs to happen within my soul. What is he doing? He's restoring my soul. And not only is he restoring my soul, he's leading me in paths of righteousness. So he wants to come in and restore me. He wants to change me. He doesn't want to lead me the way I've been. Sometimes when we're in our wilderness, we find the place of sin. We find a place of weakness in our life. Yesterday, my wife knows how much I do not like. Like if I could ever have enough money, I would be willing to take like, five pay cuts and lose a vehicle and maybe one of my toes if I just had one person that could come to my house and do all of the handiwork. You know what I mean? Like, does anybody else hate handy? No guys is going to admit that, but I'll just say it for all guys. I hate handiwork. I don't like fixing doors. Every time I fix the door, it gets more crooked and doesn't close even better, right? Like, I don't like doing electrical because every time I try to do something electrical, I get shocked or I start a fire. Uh, there's a lot of things I just don't like to do when it comes to handiwork. And the bad thing is, is people tell my wife that I'm handy. And I'm like, I am not handy. Don't believe those lies of the devil. And so she thinks I'm handy, so she's always asking me to do stuff. So yesterday, right off the bat, we wake up first thing in the morning. She opens up her book, uh, which I think is going to be a journal with all these sweet notes about what God's saying or about how much she loves her husband. But instead, it's just a list of handy chores that I need to do for the next year of my life every month. And she's like, I'm doing this so that we can have peace in our home. And I'm thinking, I'm raging on the inside right now. You may have peace. I have no peace. We don't go to counselors. We just talk it out in sermons. That's how we do things here. No. And so the very first thing that happens is I have to go fix a door handle. And I'm trying to fix a door handle, but I broke my drill. And I don't want to drive to Jonathan's house to borrow a drill. And I need a drill because I'm trying to screw a screw straight into the wood door. And so I'm just sitting there just grinding away, grinding away. And of course, I end up hitting myself. And Perry comes in and says, hey, listen, if if you're going to have a bad mood... Like if this one simple chore is going to put you in a bad mood for the rest of the day, that's fine. We're leaving. No, she says, then don't do it. Just leave the door broken. Just leave it alone. Right. Leave it alone. Here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes uh, we I I have to I have to learn that it's in that wilderness of chores for me. It's a wilderness of, of doing handiwork. It's in that wilderness that my sin gets exposed. So what's getting exposed in me? Something's getting exposed is A, my lack of patience, right? Maybe a little bit of laziness, I don't know. Um, maybe some insecurity that I don't think I'm good enough at doing, uh, you know, putting a screw into a door. Uh, whatever it is, or maybe it's just the fact that I don't like people telling me what to do. And my wife has a whole list of things. Whatever the sin is in my life, it got exposed yesterday morning, Right? It got exposed when I had to go help her at her school and I didn't take a hammer with me and I needed to, to, to hammer something in. And so instead I used a two by four and I tried to hit something with a two by four. But guess what I hit? I hit my thumb and thought I broke my thumb and my, my thumb had blood all underneath. Listen, some things got exposed in that moment. I didn't cuss. But I wanted to real bad. And I thought, if I was my sister-in-law, Wendy, I would unleash a flurry of words right now. That's what you get for sitting on the front row. You should never sit by Perry. It's like a target. And I miss sometimes, and so other people get hit. 
The idea is in the wilderness, we, we have to find places of repentance. And, and I say this every time I talk about repentance. Please don't view repentance as a bad word. Don't view repentance as a bad word. If you're driving off a road and going off a cliff and you repent, that means you turn and get back on the road. Repentance wasn't a bad thing. If someone says, turn, don't run off in that ditch, you wouldn't get mad at them, right? So don't view repentance. Repentance should be something I do every day. He restores my soul. He's restored me back to a place of innocence, back to a place of purity, back to a place of following him. Why? Because I start getting off sometimes. And not only does he help us to repent, but he puts us on the right path. He puts us on the right path that's going to lead us to a place of safety. It's going to lead us to a place of provision. It's going to lead us to a place of protection. He wants us not jumping off into a 45-foot ravine. He wants to put us on the right path that's going to take us where we need to be. Ephesians 5, 8 says this, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Uh, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Perry and I, I, I know I've I got to hurry, but... Perry and I were talking this week about just not everybody in the church. I mean, it wasn't like a big, long conversation. But, but for some reason, two names came up uh, of two people in the church. And, and Perry and I were talking, and we just said, both of us uh, had the same reaction. We were talking about how cool it is to see people kind of start finding their place in Christ. And we see people that are hungry and have this desire to, to walk. And they're not perfect. They're not always doing it right. But they have this desire to walk in Christ. And we both picked out people immediately, same people, and just said how cool it is to watch people whenever they start having their soul restored and then they get put on the right path. And you see this desire to walk along the path. You don't know who it is, but if you want it to be you, just pretend like it's you. <laughs> Verse 4 we got to hurry. i got four, five, and six. That's it. And then we're done. Verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That word shadow of death there, the valley of the shadow of death in the Hebrew, also means the valley of deep darkness. And some of us have found ourselves in a valley of deep darkness. A lot of times preachers use this verse to talk about death in the family. Like someone dies and we say, oh, it's just a a shadow of death, that that death isn't real, that that if you're a Christian that you go on to heaven. And and while that's all good, listen, all of the verses in in this chapter can be used a variety of different ways, and that's okay. But today I want to point out the fact that the Hebrew says deep darkness, and sometimes we find ourselves in a place of deep darkness. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place of depression and discouragement, and it's hard to get out of that. You may be a Christian. There, there have been pastors. I just listened to a, um, I just listened to a sermon recently from a pastor out. Uh, I don't even know where he is. Out on the West Coast somewhere. And one of the things this guy was talking about was how he had to. He was driving. He had a church that had doubled in size every year for four straight years. Can you imagine? So if you have a hundred, the next year you got two hundred. The next year you got four hundred. The next year you got eight hundred. The next year you have sixteen hundred. Now imagine that kind of growth for any, any business leader or any pastor or any parent. What if you doubled in kids every year for four years, right? And the guy was just saying, I was, on, the, on the outside, I was viewed as a success. But on the inside, the, the McQuins are like, we know, we know, we did that. 
on the inside, he said, although on the outside everybody thought of me as successful, on the inside I was under so much pressure and so much stress. He said, one day it finally got to me. I was so depressed and discouraged. I pulled off on the side of the road and, and I got out of my car and I was having a panic attack. And he said, called my, he said I called my wife and I just said, I, I, I'm done. And he hung up the phone. And thankfully his wife knew where, she, where he was and she came out to find him. He said, but I was ready to commit suicide. I was in a dark dark place when everything else around me is good and everything else around me is growing and everything around me looks like light and life on the inside i was in a deep darkness but here's what the bible says about god it says that jesus left the comfort of heaven to step into our deep darkness psalm 139 verses 7 and 8 says this where shall i go from your spirit or where shall we flee from your presence If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is a Hebrew word for hell, you are there. Verse 11 says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me is like night. Even in the dark, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day for the darkness is as light with you. The Bible says that even in my darkest place, his presence is with me. Can I tell you this morning, if you're depressed and discouraged today, if you're struggling today, you need to understand you may feel like you're alone and the people in your life may have abandoned you. But God never does. His presence is with you. Even when you don't see it and you don't feel it, He's there. And the next thing it says, it says your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, a lot of people teach this differently and that's okay. Some people teach that the shepherd had, a, had a, um, a staff that had like a crook on it. You've all seen the pictures of the staff with a crook on it. And that was for, you know, hooking around a sheep and pulling him in. And, and some people teach that all, while he had that, he also had what they called a rod. And it was like a, kind of like a billy club, what we would consider a billy club that was used for protection. But when I was doing the study, they, they say in the Hebrew, it could be two things or it could be one thing serving a variety of purposes. That doesn't matter to you necessarily today, um, but, but it does matter to me because here's the thing. Not only does he promise us his presence, but he says that he will protect us. The rod and the staff, they comfort us. This book is not just a book. It's not just a book. It's one thing, but it has a variety of uses in our life. The Bible says this in, in Psalm 119, 115. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen, the Bible is God's rod and staff. When you don't know what to do, when you're in the deep darkness, you don't know what to do, you don't know what to pray, you don't know what to say, listen, I want to encourage you, get into this book. No, don't get into the book. Let the book get into you. Let the book get into you. Let the book correct you if you're wrong. Let it comfort you if you're hurting. Let it direct you if you're lost. Let it guide you and and, and protect you. Get into the book. You don't know what to pray. Get into the book of Psalms and begin to pray through the Psalms. You get into Psalm 23 and you don't know what to do and you feel lost and you're in the dark and you don't know where to go. You begin to pray. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If that's all you know to pray, you pray the word and you pray it over and over and over again until it gets down inside of you and it becomes a part of who you are. Let this book become huge in your life. 
The one thing that I want to see happen in this church, and I take a personal responsibility for each and every one of you, the one thing that I want to see happen, more than I want you to come down at the, at the end for prayer, more than I want you to lift your hands in worship, more than I want you to give in the offering, the one thing I want for you today, for this year even, is that this word get inside of you. Sophia leads our kids, and one of the things Sophia said is she said, this year I want the kids to know the Word of God. I want to make sure they all have Bibles, so we bought all the kids Bibles. I want to make sure that they've got Bibles up there, so we've got extra ones up there. Why? Because it's important to us that the Word of God be the foundation of who we are. It comforts us, and it protects us. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Now, the old man's going to preach next week. Cowboy's preaching up here. And when he does, he doesn't know what I'm preaching today because he's not here. But I ought to know what he's preaching next week because he always tells me, right? He can't not tell me. And so here's the thing. He's preaching about this verse. And he's going to attack it from a whole other angle, and that's going to be awesome. And I can't wait to hear what he's got to say. But the angle I'm going to attack it from is this. He anoints my head with oil. The anointing of the head with oil could be a relational thing. Uh, it means like if you were to come over to my house for dinner uh, in, in, in Israeli, back in, in ancient Israel, um, I wouldn't do this to you today, especially not to me or Kevin, um, because they would put oil on your head, and that would be like a way of, of like a blessing when you come in. But whenever you're bald like us, it would just like just run everywhere, and that would be terrible, right? talk about back knee like you would just get acne everywhere um but they would take the anointing oil and they would and they would pour it on your head a little bit on the head and and that would be a, a way of blessing someone that came in uh anointing uh with oil if you're talking about a shepherd could mean that, that they would put oil on the sheep's ears and in their nose um because what it does is it keeps the flies from um laying eggs in their ears and nose so that's that's another way anointing oil could be used or, or the oil would be anointed um, but but here's the thing I want to focus on today is also in the Bible, they used oil to anoint kings, priests and prophets. In other words, if you were going to step into service for God, if you were going to do anything spectacular for God or, or even menial, some of the priests that knew anything spectacular, they, they had menial tasks that they had to do, they would anoint you with oil. They would take a flask of oil and they would pour it over your head. And that oil represented something. And, and remember, in the Old Testament, what's done in the physical usually represents something that's spiritual in the New Testament, right? So the physical is in the Old Testament, the spiritual is in the New Testament. And so, um, so they would anoint people with oil. And, and what that what happened was, is there was often a spiritual connection to it. Look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. Now, this is talking about David, the guy who wrote the psalm. And this is before David was even king. And, and there was this old man named Samuel. Samuel was the prophet. And Samuel shows up on the scene and he finds David. And here's what the Bible says. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, talking about David, in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. There's a connection with the anointing with oil and the Spirit of God moving in your life. So whenever he's saying, you anoint my head with oil, the oil there represents the presence and the power of God's Spirit in our lives. 
Luke 4, 18, I'll just give you a little snippet here. Um, it says, the Spirit, this is Jesus talking, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Acts 10, 38, uh, it says this, you know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power. So throughout the Bible, the anointing with oil uh, signifies the invisible presence and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Acts 1, 8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Remember what it says? Rushed upon David, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Listen, we may not all be kings, priests, and prophets today, but God has called us all to be witnesses. He's called us all to have purpose. He's called us all to do something for the kingdom of God. But what do we need? We need the oil. We need the Holy Spirit on our lives because he's called us all to do it. But here's the cool thing. It says this, and my cup runs over. John 7, 38 and 39 says this, whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There's an overflow uh, that Jesus is talking about here. And he says, and this, uh, he said about the spirit who uh, those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit works in your life, It's not just for you to be blessed. It's not just for you to be anointed to do something. He also overflows out of you into someone else's life. I said this last week because I really felt like there was a person in the room or people in the room that that God wanted to use the overflow of what he's doing in your life to minister to someone else. There's this overflow. Have you ever seen... um, have you ever, I've, I've never been to a, 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 a dinner or party where they did this, but you see it in movies all the time where they have the uh, champagne glasses and they're all stacked in tiers, right? And you pour the, the champagne in the top one and what happens? It flows over into all the rest of them. The idea here is the same thing, that whenever my cup overflows, now other people get blessed by it. My family gets blessed by it. You get blessed by it. The people at your work, when your cup overflows, get blessed. What does it mean for my cup to overflow? We'll talk about that when we talk about the Holy Spirit. But it might just mean that as, as Brandon is, is devouring God's word and he's putting God's word in his life, and then he's on a fire call, and there's some woman out there who, who just lost somebody in a fire, and Brandon goes and puts a blanket around her, that his cup begins to overflow onto her life. What overflows? It might just be God's word. Brandon might just have a word uh, from, from the Bible. He might just say, hey, listen, I read this verse today, and let me just give it to you because I believe that God's peace will, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It may be something simple, but it begins to overflow out of us. God wants to use you. He wants to overflow. Last one, and this is where we're going to stop. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's another aspect to shepherding. And it's not just the shepherd. The shepherd does a good job. But here's the problem with the shepherd. The shepherd is usually leading the flock. Right? The shepherd is leading the flock. So the shepherd a lot of times is out in front. And because sheep are so good at following that you don't really need a lot of shepherds. You can get by with just one. As a matter of fact, kids can be really good shepherds. You throw a kid at David. um, They say in the Old Testament that a lot of times it was the youngest son or, or youngest child that got thrown out there to be the shepherd. 
Because anybody can do it, right? And so, so Jesus is leading our flock. He's out in front. He's making a way. He's setting the example. I imitate him. Uh, you know, the Bible says, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That we are always imitating Christ. We're following him. Jesus said, come and follow me. The, these words are words of us being behind and him being a step ahead. But then it ends with goodness and mercy shall follow me. That there's got to be something following me. And, and with a shepherd, there's another person out there helping and that other person is the sheepdog. The sheepdog actually comes from behind the sheep. The word follow there means to pursue. It also means to persecute. It means to chase. What are goodness and mercy doing? They are pursuing me. They are chasing me. Uh, they are persecuting me a little bit, right? The sheepdog, here's what he does. When the sheep when one of the sheep starts getting out of the flock, when one of the sheep starts turning the wrong way, the sheepdog goes from behind and barks and nips and pushes that sheep back in line where he's supposed to be. When the flock is going a little bit too slow and the shepherd's trying to hurry them up, he can whistle at the sheepdog and the sheepdog pursues, he chases and he pushes the sheep forward. There's going to be times in your life, maybe even today, where you're going through a wilderness and you're struggling and you're hurting and you're broken. And all you want to do is get away from people. You came in here today because it's church day and you got to do it because your, your husband came to church and you got to come with your husband or your, your kids or want to be at church so you got to bring your kids or... Your wife made you come or your friend called you this morning and told you to show up. And you put a big old smile on your face and you shook my hand at the door and, and you're doing all the right things. But on the inside, all you want to do is get away from this crowd. If I could just get away from these people, if I could just get away from all this stuff. And all you want to do is isolate yourself and get away. The Bible says that goodness and mercy, mercy also means steadfast love. Goodness also means grace. It keeps pushing us back into the flock. We keep finding a place of comfort and safety if we learn to get back into the flock. Just step back into the fold. Sometimes we want to walk away because things get hard and we want to get away from God. And, and there, there's times in my life where I get anxious and, and I get nervous and I get scared. There's times in my life where I get worried about something. There's times in my life when, when things aren't going my way. And I have to remember that His love and His grace, His mercy, and His grace keep pushing me forward. Keep me in the flock. Today, you may be struggling. You may be in sin. Maybe you, you're not serving God. Or maybe, maybe you just got some discouragement and depression. You're just outside of the flock. You feel separated today. Can I tell you that His love, His, His grace, His goodness, His mercy, they're going to draw you back in. They're going to draw you back in. The last thing he says is, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's always another side to the wilderness. You can stand up with me today. As you're standing up, let me just finish this thought. Because the little documentary I was watching, this, this shepherd, he was hard to un- understand. He was, he was Israeli and, and uh, he was hard to understand. But, but he had this home. He had this home out in the edge of the wilderness. 
And the sheep had a great pen and they had a roof and they had all this cool stuff and hay and, and all these things. And the shepherd had to take them out into the wilderness. But, but once they got done, he would bring them back. Like, like the wilderness was not a place where they stayed. A wilderness was temporary. And he brought them back to the house. If you're following the shepherd, he always wants to bring you back to the house. David says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's talking about eternity here. He says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Yeah, while I'm on earth, I'm going to have God's goodness and mercy trying to hem me in, trying to pull me back. But listen, here's the thing. There's always an eternity that we got to think about too. And that eternity is a house. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and me. There's a place in eternity that we have comfort in knowing. We've got a hope that there's, a, there's an eternal home. As long as we're doing what? following the shepherd because he's always going to lead us out and he'll lead us right back to where we need to be. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? I've got some people in our church. We've got some elders and we've got some prayer team people. And so if, if you're one of those people that helps us pray, I want to encourage you come on down right now and, and just get on the front row here, right up here so we can, so we know who to contact for prayer. And today, maybe you're in the crowd and maybe God's speaking to your heart and the Holy Spirit is talking to you today and, and, and he's leading you and guiding you today. Maybe he's revealing some stuff to you today, some anxiety, some worry. Maybe he's showing you about this wilderness that you're in and, and he's saying, listen, I want to restore your soul today. I want to put you back on a path of righteousness today, uh, the, the, the right path. Maybe today you're struggling and you're hurting and you're scared and you're saying, if I, just, if I could just experience his presence in this deep darkness... Whatever the case is today, we want to pray with you. We want to comfort you. We want to put an arm around you and encourage you today. I believe God wants to do a work in your life. And if you're not serving him today, today you can make that choice. Today is the day of salvation. You can choose to follow the shepherd, which is Jesus. You can accept his love and his mercy. And he can put you on that right path. No matter what you're going through this morning, Pastor Jonathan's going to sing a song. And as he does, I want you to be brave. I want you to step out of your seat. I want you to come down to the front and let one of these guys pray with you this morning. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus' name.